This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. and welcome to a brand new episode of Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims experiencing same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I'm your host Wahid Jensen. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. Today's episode is part two of the discussion on marital intimacy and sex. It's the second half of the discussion that we started last week. And joining me again in today's episode is Dr. Rana Khalid, who was our guest speaker in the previous episode as well. So let's get started, inshallah. If we have someone who experiences same-sex attractions mm-hmm. and he or she is married, yes. what advice can you give this person on how to improve his or her sexual relationship in both quantity and quality? Okay, let's first agree that um, even ha- in happy marriages, um, there is no such a perfect union, okay? So some couples mm-hmm. uh, uh, who said they were very satisfied with each other uh, still had significant differences in temperament, interest, family value, and uh, conflict. Uh, conflicts uh, was not infrequent. Okay, mm-hmm. so um, in a study of couples with uh, young children, okay, a high stress time in most marriages, they found that those whose sex life were good to great mm-hmm. made sex a, a priority rather than considering it last obligation on a long to-do list okay so these couples talked about their sex life and sure they had one on one time together and put their relationship first despite the competing demand of work and children and you know mm-hmm. the daily life stressors right so, but there is a way to make uh, our sex life more, more romantic. So, the goal of sex is a long-term in a long-term relationship is to have fun, okay, and heighten closeness and feel valued and accepted in the very tender area of our marriage. Mm-hmm. So, there is some some tips I, I would like to uh, say. It. So, we have to redefine what you mean by sex mm-hmm. okay so when sex become about technique rather than passion and communication the result is sexual anxiety okay mm-hmm. so instead of isolating sex from the rest of your relationship mm-hmm. try a change in attitude for example stop thinking in sex about orgasm as we talked before and consider everything positive that happened between you and your partner as part of mm-hmm. sex 
Uh, this goal-oriented approach to lovemaking uh, uh, can cause a great uh, deal of sexual dysfunction because if that objective isn't reached, then there is a sense that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. So consider all positive interaction to be sex, even from uh, kiss and hugs uh, and cuddling. Consider all of these as a foreplay, even during the day. So this kind of, um, you know, interaction and consideration, this is kind of stretching, you know, our sexuality. And mm -hmm. we don't have always to consider sex as being uh, intercourse. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sex, even touching is sex. And um, I, I would like to say that um, many partners with a, a lower sex drive end up avoiding uh, any kind of touch or hugs or, uh, you know, or cuddling because mm -hmm. for the fear, it will be interpreted as an invitation to sex. Uh, Sometimes partners are exhausted, sleepy, or just planning to go to bed with a book. They would enjoy physical closeness but sex is the last thing on their mind mm -hmm. so that's why sometimes the lower drive partner pulls away avoiding opportunity for physical closeness cuddling on the sofa for example kissing or spooning in bed in the morning mm -hmm. or even create additional distance for example by making critical comments okay so to, to avoid any physical contact over time the higher drive partner will make fewer gestures of closeness out of a frustration and feelings of rejection so here we have to uh, just stop and open uh, to be open to ourselves and just talk about um, when we need uh, sexual contact uh, or let's say uh, intercourse and one, when we need only this kind of um, extending sexual activity. Mm -hmm. So, so it's it's very important to communicate from what I understand that not necessarily every time we cuddle or we have a physical contact, it's going to end up in sex. These things can exactly. be separated, right? But sometimes this is, uh, you know, it could be considered uh, indirect messages for some partner. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have to stop and talk and open conversation as we talked before. Of course. Beautifully said. Thank you. This is the first tip. Second one, I'd like to say, learn how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to have the courage to discuss uh, our sexual life uh, together and uh, to express um, um, without uh, express ourselves without sounding critical or feeling embarrassed. So we have to be sometimes gentle and positive, and uh, we have to be also gentle and patient with each other. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have to take things personally, okay? If, um, let's say, uh, here even sex is so intimate, but what turn your partner on or off isn't about you, mm -hmm. okay? The goal of lovemaking is to explore that um, what works for each of you. Um, it is not a criticism of your attractiveness, sexual virility, lovemaking skill, or innermost being, uh, if your partner likes it uh, harder, softer, or differently. So we have to be, you know, uh, think, we have to think positively and we don't have to take it personally. Mm -hmm. 
So the third tip also to um, enhance our relationship in quality and quantity is to uh, chart uh, our sexual love map. And here in two ways, we have to question ourselves what felt good last time, mm-hmm. okay, and what to do uh, or what do you need to make sex better. Uh, so by discussing those things together and being open to each other, being a little bit about our um, uh, differences in desire, about our differences in fantasy, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable for us, what can make things better. Mm-hmm. So now we are discussing really the, our sexual life and we can start enhancing it and uh, improving it. Uh, The fourth step, I could say, I can say that having ongoing conversation about sexual intimacy. So keep your sexual maps up to date. And as I told you before that our, we, we talk about the brain plasticity, okay? So our preference, sexual preference can change from time to time. So um, we have to update this uh, map uh, by sometime by asking or by observing what's going on through um, through the two couples okay mm-hmm. um, and so updating it's uh, it's good also the fifth step is uh, learn how to initiate sex and sometime how to refuse it but gently so so what you mean is maintaining open communication and kind of stretching the idea of sex to involve any acts of cuddling and hugging and foreplay yes. to to kind of you know rekindle that intimacy right yes exactly yeah and i really like the idea of the intimacy map that you mentioned because it it it, it builds up and it it creates a you know a fluid dynamic between the couple this is really wonderful A lot of times there are um, different things that men and women look for in terms of their sex lives, right? So there is, of course, the sexual intimacy, which is important. But oftentimes we also learn about the emotional intimacy, which is also very important for women in a relationship. Um, You know, women need to be hugged, to be held, to be cuddled more frequently than men usually think. Um, And for example, because we are talking now to an audience of men and women who experience same-sex attractions, a lot of us have Mm -hmm. experienced traumas in our lives growing up. Many of us have been, you know, abused as kids, particularly sexually abused and so on. So these issues can be, you know, frightening for us. So my question to you right now is, how do you recommend that one would be able to create and increase emotional intimacy and bonding with one's wife or with one's husband? Okay, first of all, I'd like to say emotional intimacy is a key component to a healthy marriage. So when emotional intimacy is lacking, a marriage can suffer. Mm-hmm. Maintaining emotional intimacy requires work and attention. That restoring emotional intimacy after it is lost can be a lot of a lot tougher than working hard to preserve it along the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you are emotionally intimate uh, with your spouse, you may feel as if you can see it 
uh, into the other soul, uh, knowing their hopes, dreams, fear, and understanding them at a, a deep level. Taking steps to strengthen emotional intimacy in marriage demonstrates your commitment to a long, strong, and happy marriage. Uh, so sometimes couples don't develop emotional intimacy in the first place, okay, and uh, or lose it after a while. Ideally, both partner will work and build this intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's important to recognize your part in building emotional intimacy and being emotionally available. We don't have to rely on the other partner. We are both responsible. So the relationships that lack emotional intimacy are often characterized by lack of trust and poor communication, secrets, uh, hidden emotions. Um, So if your marriage seems to be lacking in emotional intimacy, I I would, uh, you know, I would list a number of things that you and your partner can do, strengthen uh, and deepen it. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. let's start, especially at those days, the electronics. So we have to silence Mm -hmm. the electronics. First of all, electronics communication uh, can be a barrier to real emotional intimacy. And uh, uh, now a lot of houses uh, are lacking this kind, this emotional intimacy. So work, email, Mm -hmm. social media, entertainment can can be never-ending and easily grow into distracting habits that interfere with your solid human uh, one-on-one interaction. So we have to Mm -hmm. give ourselves a break from those electronics and just try to communicate physically. And uh, second uh, advice I can give to be emotionally available. Um, after you know, after year together, couple inevitably uh, learn uh, what might hurt their partner. Kind of uh, uh, and loving, kind and loving partner, for example, uh, who avoid hurting each other, help each other feel loved, valued, and safe. When we make the environment safe for our spouses, emotional intimacy finds find its place. So we have to just sit with ourselves and see what's make my uh, our partner um, emotionally stable and uh, more comfortable so um, mm-hmm. but unfortunately many people have experienced hostility from those uh, who they trusted and felt unloved or learned the bad relationship habits if you have a habit of emotionally attacking those who are close to you this habit will sabotage intimacy and create a wall in your marriage. So when I um, talk about the four horsemen of the relationship, um, we we emphasize on criticism, okay, and defes- defensiveness, feeling contempt and uh, stonewall uh, building, okay. So if you have a habit of emotionally attacking, those who are close to you, for example, by criticizing them, by contempt or by being uh, too much defensive, um, these habits will sabotage intimacy, creating a wall in your marriage. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, in other advice, uh, increase your time together. It can be hard to find time together as a couple. So having children, especially in the home, can often magnify that difficulty. Consider having, uh, for example, a cup of coffee together at a set time every week and so that can help you feel relaxed and able to engage in good conversation. Uh, even we can advise about uh, weekly date night or uh, bi-weekly date night. It, it doesn't matter, but we have to to do something, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, making time to focus on each other without uh, the kids or without uh, distraction, um, especially from our electronic, is critical to maintain uh, our emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. Also, we can advise to read a book together because, you know, by sharing information and talking about what we read can strengthen, strengthen the trust and communication aspect of uh, our emotional intimacy. We can also, as an advice, I can say we, can, we have to seek a balance between self and couple. And here it's I consider this very important point because um, the strongest marriage relationship have to uh, have two interdependent partners, uh, and each one has rich hobbies, a professional life, or a social life. Too much togetherness also can be a bad thing if it's deprived the relationship of the uh, of the energy and experiences that. Uh, interdependence break, brings. Mm -hmm. So make sure to engage in some good self-care as a husband uh, and allow your spouse also to do the same. And then come together as a secure and trusting couple. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end, put together a fun list, okay? Spending time uh, um, Pursuing uh, what you enjoy together can build shared memory and experiences while strengthening emotional intimacy. Uh, so think about things you did when you were, for example, dating or uh, engaged or newlyweds that made you enjoy time together and consider putting them on your fun list. Explore activity that uh, you have always wanted to try make sure that you are doing something on the fun list on a regular basis. And if those didn't work, you may want to consider seeking help from a family therapist. I wanted to ask you about the touch needs because they fall into this question, but then I'm going to kind of merge it with another question. Um, which, you know, we get frequently. Let's say that a spouse doesn't feel desired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, typically the man, um, that the woman complains to the man that she's not feeling desired enough. And, you know, a man who has same-sex attractions usually might be uh, having difficulty in that regard. So what are the recommendations that you can give us to kind of increase that level of desire towards, you know, our spouse? Um, and feel free to talk about the touch needs that you wanted to include in the previous question. Okay. In a normal couple, two, two people rarely have the exact same sex drive, okay? Mm -hmm. So one person might be uh, happy with daily sex, another with monthly. 
So besides differences in basic libido, life events, illness, uh, job stress, uh, childcare, um, orientation, sexual orientation can cause a desire and discrepancy in couples. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I mentioned before, it's important to remember that intimacy doesn't necessarily mean sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, non-sexual touch is vitally important, both in itself and to improve sex life. Um, when I talk about non-sexual uh, uh, touch, but physically intimate way um, to show uh, your appreciation for a partner could include... Um, for example, caressing your partner's cheek, cuddling with one another, tickling the inside of your spouse's arm, for example, walking with your arms around each other ways, sitting close enough so that you are physically touching legs or arm, holding hand, briefly rubbing your partner, for example, back while watching TV or standing together at the kitchen counter. Um, kissing or uh, nibbling your partner ear and this intimacy doesn't have to be through direct physical touch also um, even uh, eye contact is also an important okay and many couple will go for days uh, without looking directly into each other eyes um, do you know human and especially female and here I put hundred you know, line under the female, are wired to be touched. Mm-hmm. From birth until the day we die, our need for physical contact remains. Um, all senses are responsible gateway to, to our sexual desire. Mm-hmm. And neurobiology has focused mostly on the way visual and olfactory stimuli uh, exist. Uh, excite sexual motivation and desire. But the skin, as a proximal gateway to sexual desire, has received a little attention okay, by, by people. Mm-hmm. The ability to perceive interpersonal touch as sexually stimulating and pleasurable could be a key component of our sexual behavior and sexual intimacy. So there is uh, a reported evidence, uh, scientific evidence, about the relationship between the tactile physical affection and the relationship satisfaction and the attachment bonds. Mm-hmm. So, so here we have to emphasize about the importance of the touch. I'm not talking here about the sexual touch. I'm talking about the non-sexual touch. Mm-hmm. And um, the touch information received through the skin has direct access to the brain's emotional and rewarding system. Mm-hmm. So the touch is suggested to be involved in the conduction of sexually stimulating even if it's not sexual touch, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and here, what we call arousing touch. Uh, do you know, even one of the worst scenarios uh, we can experience uh, in the clinic, and it's 
unfortunately, uh, do you know it's high in uh, prevalence. It's uh, also known as a skin hunger or touch deprivation it's for many reasons. Because with time, the couple get used to each other. They don't um, touch each other in a even the normal um, touch. Um, as we mentioned before, that our sexual response cycle it's about um, uh, desire, uh, arousability, and uh, um, satisfaction, or we can put it between parentheses, uh, orgasm. Uh, Sometimes, if we don't have desire, but we let ourselves go, for example, being aroused by by letting ourselves and don't uh, uh, put boundaries about our relationships and uh, our uh, and touching each other. Now here we can get aroused and after the arousability we can enjoy, you know, um, our uh, uh, intimacy together, our emotional intimacy together. And with time, after increasing several times, the do uh, you know the intimacy and sexual satisfaction desire can come and rebuild it it's important to know that all relationships require time effort and commitment from both parties to be successful mm-hmm. a healthy relationship is therefore not about having no difficulties okay it's about having the skills time energy to work think out and grow together mm-hmm. And concerning people who experienced um, sexual abuse uh, previously, usually in their marriage, they can have some difficulty with trust, intimacy, and sex, okay? But um, Mm -hmm. we can say there was no prescribed way that um, an experience of sexual abuse with um, impact on a man or his marriage. We can say that even everyone is different. One of the way that, uh, for example, sexual assault could impact us, um, in addition of, for example, avoidance uh, of some people, places, and situation, we have um, uh, difficulties trusting people, even wife at time, um, when being hurt by a person they are supposed to be able to trust, it can be extremely difficult to trust in later relationship, even the spouse. As a result to, to this um, assault, the closeness distance dynamic in which you might experience a seesawing in your relationship, mm-hmm. husband, wife might at time seek out reassurance and assistance and at other time distance themselves um, from each other. So um, here always we um, advise to seek um, medical help if we still have this problem, especially in avoiding some people and not feeling comfortable to be touched and to be sometime close to each other or even trusting our partner. Let's say someone has been married for some time and things have been working out, or maybe there were some brick walls eventually and some sexual problems kept on emerging. Let's say performance performance issues, whether it's the man or the woman or both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
as you know, this becomes very demoralizing to their sexual life, to their personal mm-hmm. life. How do we manage this if, they, if these sexual problems keep on emerging? And we're talking here about the man and the woman, both of them together. Okay, do you know, um, every unsuccessful attempt could be interpreted by the person by, by the person himself as a failure. So the thoughts of failure torture the mind. And we go into the virtuous cycle of a frustration, embarrassment, fear, feeling incompetent. And at the end, we cannot perform. So my advice is stop trying uh, to achieve the intercourse as a goal. And here, stop and seek professional help. Okay. This is very important because at this point it needs to have some sort of intervention to help the couple. Exactly, because uh, for them, they they are in a virtuous cycle. They cannot get out. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you said earlier in the episode, you said that sometimes the consummation may may not actually happen even after years or even ever, right, at all. Yes. So my question here is if a man is not able to consummate his marriage at all, um, how frequent have you seen this? Uh, you know, n- not so frequent mm-hmm. uh, because usually they they get divorced uh, before mm-hmm. they seek uh, help, and unfortunately, many of them they they cannot wait too much. Um, right. But we have some cases. We can see. I saw a case um, of eleven years of unconsummated marriage. Okay, wow. and. Um, uh, at the end, they come for for treatment, and uh, Alhamdulillah, they uh, they we succeed. Okay, I can say we. But what makes them stay together is um, is different from couple to couple because, as I said before, every couple is unique, and every couple has his own reason to stay together or to leave. Okay, and and in the case of you know not being able to consummate the marriage, obviously your recommendation would be to seek therapy, right? Yes, exactly, because we have in the clinic a lot of cases of unconsummated marriage, and we work with them. Uh, and alhamdulillah, we ha- we 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 get a good result mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, so so don't uh, don't be um, don't be uh, shameful about this problem. This problem is very common and could happen and nothing wrong with you and nothing wrong with uh, the spouse, but just seek at, uh, seek help, professional help, and things will go. I, I would like to mention here something because many times, like I said before, an unconsummated marriage is because either she has vaginismus or fear, big fear of uh, uh, going to intercourse or he has a sexual problem okay mm-hmm. because every couple is a unit mm-hmm. okay so when one of them have a kind of a sexual problem okay mm-hmm. this time the other one who's not um, who has no issue sexual issue start having some sexual problem also okay. so it's secondary to his to his or her partner sexual problem and uh, instead of dealing with one spouse uh, in in our clinic so we have now to deal with both of them mm-hmm. so seek uh, seeking help uh, at the right time it's better than postponing things okay and being just trapped into this virtuous cycle of uh, as i mentioned frustration embarrassment uh, feeling incompetent and okay. depression of course yes this makes perfect sense 
As you mentioned earlier, it's very important to keep the communication open, to have um, you know the expectations laid out there, uh, to focus on the touch needs and the you know the things that you have described in before. Um, but when we talk about you know particular matters, like let's say. In the man, erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation, for example, these are very common issues. Or when we talk about the female, there's, you know, as as we uh, as we've been talking about, you know, vaginismus or issues with um, desire or orgasm, which can apply to both male and female. Um, how how do you um, deal with this particular issues uh, with couples that you see? Okay, usually for these issues, we look to the cause. Uh, we try to treat the cause. For example, um, most of the erectile dysfunction cases are due to performance anxiety, for example. Uh -huh. So so I need to deal with the performance anxiety. Premature ejaculation, sometimes uh, it's, uh, it is due to uh, previous uh, masturbatory um, habits. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah, so we have to deal with these issues and uh, we have to treat uh, his previous habits, okay? So it's uh, sometimes we need, sometimes with medication, sometimes it's uh, only psychological treatment. Mm -hmm. For the female uh, vaginismus, it's um, kind of, we treat it with desensitization. And um, here it's very important uh, for us to take uh, things slowly and uh, step by step and don't um, rush the, that, you know, the, the process of therapy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we can deal also, like you said, with desire problem, uh, orgasmic problem and everything we have to to look to the uh, roots always mm -hmm. uh, of the of the issue and see what's causing uh, this specific issue and if it's primary or secondary if it's uh, if it's a lifelong or situational um, and how much distress is causing so because sometimes for example um, sometimes the man come and he said that or he complained uh, about his wife but we, when we ask her she doesn't have any distress about the problem so here we don't for example, deal with the issue. We don't treat her. Uh, we try to treat him because he's having the distress and she, uh, she's not. So, okay. so it depends case by case and uh, we always tailor the, the, the therapy. I see. So, so in this case, it's very important to to um, seek therapy, to seek professional help in those cases to help us, whether individually or, you know, couple therapy is very important. Exactly, yes. If I were to ask you about the the idea of a marriage that involves both a man and a woman who both of them, they have same-sex attractions mm -hmm. and they both know about the attractions of their spouses. So they are 100% transparent with each other and they get into this sort of an arrangement. Now, you know, in, in previous episodes in the podcast, we actually talked about the idea that we, you know, individuals with same-sex attractions, they come with emotional and mental baggage mm -hmm. and there needs to be support systems. There needs to be therapy. There has to be like different areas in which they can overcome so many of the challenges that they have. And hopefully by the time that they decide to get married, then many of these problems would have been at least solved or at least, you know, been dealt with or the person is able to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Now, the the first question that comes to mind about this kind of marriage is, is such a marriage feasible 
Is it stable? And if I were to ask you as a, as a sexologist and therapist as a, like yourself, um, have you ever seen such a marriage happen? Um, I saw it only once. <laughs> to be honest, okay. um, and but I, we have to say that every couple is unique, and uh, so we cannot, you know, generalize the things. Uh, for, right. Yeah. So, but here we have to expect that uh, they both have more explicit sexual desires and more sexual needs, but uh, in different direction, uh, and sometimes are contradictory. That's okay. True. So uh, this will be a challenge for both of them. Mm -hmm. So the couple has to find a balance between the two, these two extremes. Mm -hmm. um, and I know because you said they are, uh, they open this to the to uh, to each other, and uh, this is uh, this, this is a very important step to be clear, to disclose our need, to disclose our desire, to disclose uh, to disclose our fears. Um, mm -hmm. And here, I think both of them, they, they when they enter the, the marriage, they have kind of, um, um, you know, realistic expectation of what they can face. Mm -hmm. And because uh, both of them, they they know too much about each other, and they know that are they are not um, their common point. It's not as let's say sexual common points. Okay. Uh -huh or couldn't be uh, big as the the other type of marriage of so it's it's kind of challenging uh, challenging marriage but um, it could work it depends on um, the spouses okay makes sense now if we were to talk about this particular marriage again what are some of the things that can contribute to the success of this particular marriage bridging the differences okay I, because i said that they have they are the the differences are so big, mm -hmm. okay? Um, let's say we have three levels in the bridging, and um, mm -hmm. we have to have the real talking, as I said. Mm -hmm. uh, by disclosing yourself, um, you can really, um, do you know, uh, communicate uh, in a good manner. It's also, suppose, when, when I disclose my, for example, when somebody disclose himself, okay? Mm -hmm. It's supposed that... Um, uh, real listening and real empathy for for the inner world of the other. Mm -hmm. So you need a disclosure and you need a good listener uh, from the other side. Okay. And um, second step, we need to reach um, uh, truly common shared feelings. Mm -hmm. Okay. And because feelings are the um, repercussion of what we do we do not construct our feelings right mm -hmm. we find them in ourselves Correct. when i share and communicate my feeling that doesn't mean that um, the partner has to have the same feeling mm -hmm. it means that the partner is able to transport him or herself into the inner world of the other and uh, see things as the other see them mm -hmm. And uh, the third step for me, I say, I can say it's uh, the negotiating. Uh, first, they need to take the differences between them seriously. Mm -hmm. I'd start saying that uh, I want something different from what you want. It's not easy, okay, in a, okay. In a uh, uh, loving marriage, okay. But mm -hmm. at the end of negotiating, most people promise too much. 
and not mm-hmm. when we say too much that's mean really too too much okay just they they just blow uh, promises but the result that the, the agreement is not kept mm-hmm. and the agreement that are not kept are agreement that are not well made right mm-hmm. so words alone here are not sufficient uh, the nonverbal expression is in behavior by really doing um Something for the partner is the ultimate criterion by which a real relationship will be judged. So commitment is evident in the behavior in the body and everything loving partners do for each other. Continuing to speak and continuing to speak to each other after realizing differences are part of the commitment. And uh, let's say sex is a is uh, exercises of differentiation and we have to bridge, bridge this differentiation i see so what you're talking about is that we're trying to bridge the differences and one of those aspects of the differences is obviously sex and those in this case or the interests so we try to keep open communication transparency and you mentioned those things beautifully and hopefully this inshallah contributes to the success of this kind of marriage inshallah, inshallah. um now what are some of the unique challenges of such a marriage uh, and how can someone prepare for those kinds of challenges? Do you know, most, yeah, the, the, the most challenging uh, things here is um, sometimes mm-hmm. low sexual desire, but it can with time lead okay. to, the, to sexual aversion. So there is the asexual marriage. We have to confront the problem. And uh, here, when when it's more closely to the aversion, mm-hmm. so seeking um, professional help rather than denying it, okay? Or just uh, because when, um, when we don't communicate sexually, uh, we are building this stonewalling between us, but we don't need this. We need to communicate. We, de- we need this touch to just, uh, you know, uh, this sexual touch to bridge the differences. One question to you as a therapist, as a sexologist, what are the recommendations uh, that you can give us on um, the topic of sex education, particularly when it comes to kids, what should they be taught? When should they be taught these things, and so on? Do you know sex education is still a controversial issue all over the world? Uh, a source of a bitter ideological debate because under the term sex education, you could find uh, you can find programs, agendas with different goal, content, and methodology. Right? Mm-hmm. So. Sex education for children and adolescents is widely regarded by some Muslims as dangerous knowledge that awaken premature sexuality and undermine Islamic identity. Right. Uh, just to mention, I'm not a sex educator, I'm a sex therapist, but just um, mm-hmm. from my point of view that um, if we look to our Islamic curriculum, we find it full of sex education and instruction for parents on how to raise their kids to have a solid sexual well-being. The messages that uh, children are taught about sex and gender role play has an importance in how they will grow into their sexual selves and control. Mm-hmm. When we say control, that means to express or not to express, okay, their sexual motivation. Uh, Starting from the stage um, of childhood, Mm -hmm. uh, we have to 
help them to develop characteristic of masculinity or femininity and developing those differences until the child qualify his or her job in family life and uh, guiding sex uh, to the right approach in the field of sexuality. So we need to 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 teach them what is normal okay what's um, in their in their body saying this is uh, for example this uh, desire is normal but we need to control it okay mm-hmm. we have to teach them the the sexual differences mm-hmm. okay and uh, the right gender role and we have to preserve um, the child from uh, sexual deviations by by preventing them uh, of for of looking to for example porn or to 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 engage in um, early uh, sexual experiences mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. without marriage and when islam decided to forbid for example even man to imitate woman and the woman to imitate man mm-hmm. then accordingly by that it protect the man instinct mm-hmm. and the woman instinct and nature and each gender to its role in life. Right. So nowadays, the social media and the internet, in my opinion, show a problematic effect on people developing sexual attitude and identity. Uh-huh. From the clinical uh, point of view, we find that uh, Netflix, for example, has a big, big, uh, do you know, influence on uh, on uh, preference. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there is a study even in the U.S. reported that the major source of sexual information were uh, for the kids were their peers and the media mm-hmm. compared to only 10% who named their parents, okay? Mm-hmm. And this illustrates how large a role society and internet play in, in shaping people's view when it's come to acceptable mm-hmm. and unacceptable behavior and attitude towards sexuality. Of course. So as a Muslim parents, um, we have to know that sexual education should start at home and we have to be courageous in addressing sexuality issue with our kids according to what they can be exposed to. Mm-hmm. And here it's important to know their do you know their their milieu and what they can be uh, exposed to mm-hmm. and teach them as a prevention before things happen not after a while okay mm-hmm. so and here it's uh, we can say it's important to mention that growing up with parents who express no warmth uh, do not touch their child effectively and refuse to acknowledge his or her feeling can inhibit healthy intimate relationship as an adult as well as undermine the child's self-respect. So negative relationship in childhood may delay or inhibit healthy adult sexual development. Okay. So, so uh, I mean, the, the take-home message here is that it should start at home. Parents should be um, sitting with their kids, telling them everything from a healthy perspective, explaining it to them age appropriately, not shying away from these topics, because anyway, they're going to be exposed to it either at school or through the media. So it's better be exposed to it at home in, a, in an appropriate way um, so that they know how to deal with this. 
correct? Exactly, and not forget showing emotion to them. Of course, of course. And and not to shame them when we talk about these things or to tell them that this is haram. No, at or, all. No, you at know, all. you shouldn't be thinking about these things. This kind of backfires. No, at all. Because, you know, sometimes there's young, young, uh, let's say, young boy, mm -hmm. uh, they are struggling with, um, with masturbation. Of okay? course. If you are open with them, so we can help them overcome this of struggle. Of course. Okay? Instead of, for example, blaming them or not to support them or shaming them, mm -hmm. okay. So we we'll, so we we'll stay in this virtuous cycle. Mm -hmm. So we can, we have we have as a parent a big um, responsibility to prevent our kids from any harmful influences on them, especially of sexual content. Mm -hmm. But if if they are in, we ha we have a responsibility also to have them get out of their cycle. Right, with a lot of understanding and yes. compassion, and not exactly. shaming them because they did something wrong. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, and obviously, you know, having a sexologist on board, we definitely have to talk about the taboo topics of pornography and masturbation, particularly during marriage. Um, so from you, I would like to ask you, uh, how do porn and masturbation lead to problems when being intimate with one's spouse? And do you have any tips on how to stop using pornography and masturbation or any other forms of stimulation like phone or webcam sex and the like? Do you know the ideal is that uh, is our fantasy to be grounded in reality, uh, at least with respect to whom we want to be with. But unfortunately, uh, watching uh, pornography, watching such an exciting scene, produces a lot of adrenaline, dopamine, endorphin, a lot of newer chemistry in our brain, making us feeling not only good, but so good. Right. <laughs> um, uh, this chemistry flooding can lead easily to dependence. And uh, this is not a shock. It's a devastating condition that is seeping through our society. And I see it a lot, a lot, a lot in my practice. There is a growing body, you know, search that's showing that compulsive pornography use impacts the brain in a very similar way to chemical dependency, uh, which, uh, and we call it visual cocaine. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so, you know, um, so they, they start pursu uh, pursuing the idea of sex, the fantasy of sex. Both one and man and woman brain become bombarded by images of uh, how sex should be and how our body should mm -hmm. look like. Okay, um, and the result is that when most people start having sex, their knowledge about it and about which sexual feeling and practices are normal tend to be very low, unfortunately. So mm -hmm. this is a problem that affects ordinary people. And the biggest barrier to getting help is the secrecy and the shame that's around it. Mm -hmm. uh, they can feel that nobody can really understand them. So that's why they feel so desperately alone and isolated. And it also becomes like a coping mechanism because they want to escape reality. Any problems that they're going through, they want to escape from that. But it becomes a vicious cycle because it's so addictive, correct? Yeah, correct. Exactly. This is the, this is the case. And, uh, do you know, there is some advices uh, um, that viewing pornography can help to overcome the problem. 
but many times it has the opposite effect, okay, because we, it's well known as a porn-induced sexual dysfunction because watching too much porn can cause sensory overload in a man to the point where real sex just doesn't provide enough stimulation. Um, it then becomes a problem, okay? Mm -hmm. It's well known also that men respond more to visual stimulation than women. Uh, however, when it began to affect sexual performance, it's more harmful. Mm -hmm. If we want to, to talk about harm, how harmful the uh, watching porn, we cannot, you know, we need hours and hours. But unfortunately, let's say many, many um, published studies today mm -hmm. said, Porn doesn't affect, uh, doesn't make addiction, or sex watching doesn't affect uh, sexual uh, performance, or doesn't. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, this is not the reality because the reality is because you know many studies are. Sometimes you find some studies paid. You don't know <laughs> who paid for this, or of course, yeah. Uh, yeah so, so they are not reliable and uh, in my opinion they are not totally objective of because course. what we see in the clinic is totally the opposite mm -hmm. i can i can say here there's um, so many websites today fortunately that uh, they can help um, anyone who's struggling with uh, pornography and uh, um, webcam sex and something like this in stopping we can mention for example nofap and we have in the our arabic word uh, why they are doing a great job uh, in this uh, concern but sometimes uh, it's you know it's we have to understand ourselves we have to understand our triggers mm -hmm. um when when we need to help somebody uh, to do the uh, to to overcome his uh, addiction or sometimes his compulsive sexual behavior let's say because many times we don't i don't like to call it addiction but we can say okay we have to to search for the triggers okay Mm -hmm. Because the stopping compulsive sexual behavior is best done when you can recognize your own unique cycle of uh, dependency, okay? Um, everybody has his own cycle, and the goal uh, is uh, to, to be able to personalize um, our cycle. But we have first to have, you know, this strong will. And we have to understand that stopping such things is not a easy journey. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a journey full of ups and downs. It's a journey full of uh, challenges, and we we need to be strong enough. And we we need it's okay for us, you know, to to have some relapse, okay, or, or some lapse and then relapse. It's okay. We have to understand this, but at the same time, we have to be strong enough to to stay on this road, and because change are sometimes painful but at the end if you could change it it's it will it will affect uh, all your life in a positive manner of course so a strong will at the beginning uh, then we have to to search for the triggers okay and um, triggers mean um, uh, it's an event or an uh, opportunity, a bodily sensation, emotion, and thought process that activate the behavior. Okay, some, mm -hmm. as I said, some 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 triggers are, um, uh, for example, mood disturbance, or some triggers are um, about anger, or some triggers about are about our body. We ha I have to understand what trigger I have and when. 
um, the trigger can can affect me and uh, do you know it trigger it can trigger um, a sexual opportunity okay for me so uh, this is uh, we have to be prepared well for um, for the journey and uh, some some people when they stop um, let's say um, pornography with and they are, do you know, they, they are uh, counting, okay, uh, the days, but with the time they, they, uh, they, they reach what's called flatline. Mm -hmm. Flatline, that's mean um, they don't respond sexually to their wife. And here they feel devastating because it's, it was, it will be a devastating experience for them because they feel, okay, what's happening? Why I'm not feeling anything? We say it's okay and it's normal to have this. And here what we can say, it's preparation for, for this journey is important and understanding and reading about it and uh, reading what can go through it. Uh, because when uh, you read, what what you can expect okay mm -hmm. in it and you then you face it you won't get um, this negative emotion or uh, negative reaction okay interesting and and you actually mentioned um no fab and why in arabic yes. and uh, i will add the links to their um, websites in the episode description there's also purify your gaze which also helps with pornography addiction um, and there are also 12-step uh, programs like Sexaholics Anonymous, which can also help uh, deal with these matters yes, exactly. in a supportive environment. Yeah. Okay, um, now there are very common questions that we know, uh, particularly about men and, um, you know, men more commonly than women with SSA. But let's say there's a man in a marriage and he has same-sex attractions. He cannot be sexually satisfied without having gay fantasies, for example, uh -huh. or having a gay, you know, a release, like he masturbates alone and has a release uh, with, you know, after these gay fantasies um, or, you know, watches gay porn uh, and needs to masturbate to get a aroused and he is married and there is this argument that this is the lesser of two evils you know instead of me going out of the marriage and hooking up with other men this would be the lesser of two evils mm -hmm. now we know that this is also not very helpful mm -hmm. on the long run and it comes with a lot of um, problems what would you recommend in this particular case if the man is not aroused unless he does all of these things how would you deal with this as i said before that's our porn viewing habits influence who and what we fantasize about. So pornography consumption is related not only to the size and shape of our of the bodies and genitals that appear in our fantasy, but to our orientation too. Okay. Yeah, of course. So the more gay porn that men watch, the higher the chance of his gay fantasies will be. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more dissatisfying. Of course. So many, uh, when they appear in their own fantasy also, they change themselves in some way, whether it's having a different body shape, genital appearance, or even personality. So this tend tendency to fantasize about changing one's physical or psychological characteristics sometimes reflects deep, seated insecurity right. and men who habitually look at pornography have a higher tolerance to increasing sexual permissiveness for abnormal sexual behaviors sexual aggression uh, promiscuity or even rape so pornography affects people emotional life married men who are involved in pornography uh, 
especially um, same-sex pornography, feel less satisfied with their marital sexual relation and less emotionally attached to their wives. Women married even to men with a pornography addiction report feeling of betrayal, mistrust and anger. So if you cannot stop watching pornography and masturbating by yourself, seek help, okay? Mm -hmm. Either by joining the, the group that we mentioned before, or don't hesitate even to seek medical and psychological help if needed. Sometimes we can, in, in our clinic, we can start uh, even if for for people who cannot, um, you know, uh, resist uh, their their higher desire, we can start by medication for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time we we pass by the uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and then we can taper the medication, and uh, so they can overcome this issue. Okay, perfect. Okay, one very small question that one of the members wanted to ask is: Is it true that with frequent masturbation over time, for example, there might be um, skin changes on the penis that affects the thickness or like the nerve endings might be negatively affected and like from when someone masturbates for a long period of time like for years and years and years having intercourse with the vagina will not feel as good um, and if the answer is yes is there a way for the damage to be reversed uh, do you know, unfortunately, sometimes the damage is irreversible, okay, especially when uh, the condition is chronic. But let's, I, I would like to explain something because uh, manual stimulation uh, give, give you too much excitement for, for your body. This excitement, you cannot find it when you go, for example, for the, the vaginal intercourse. You cannot find the, this same intense and uh, intense stimulation that can, you can do it by hand. Uh, so, uh -huh. so here we we can say that uh, when we are when you are doing masturbation, you are even destroying little by little even your your this the, the mutual. Um, uh, stimulation that that you wanted from your wife, okay? So you will enjoy only the soul sex. You won't enjoy, let's say, couple sex anymore. So earlier we, we talked about the idea if a man has premature ejaculation and how to deal with that, if it's a psychogenic cause, and if, you know, a woman takes that some a woman generally needs more time for her to reach orgasm, so how the man can actually, you know, satisfy himself and satisfy his wife in bed. Now, a question would be, if a man takes a long time to reach orgasm or sometimes cannot reach it at all, what would what what would be the recommendation in this case? And the same goes for a woman. If she has a if she takes a more you know longer time than usual, or not even um, she doesn't even reach orgasm. So what would be the the proper uh, recommendation in this case? Um, uh, here we turn back to a subjective assessment that lacks specificity, okay? Because how much of a delay in ejaculation or sometimes in orgasm is too much of a delay? Mm -hmm. uh, 
in order to give an answer, we need to take a detailed history. We need to ask about a specific condition, if any, under which a male, for example, is able to ejaculate, which with the specific attention given to the variable that improve or worsen performance. Mm -hmm. So a specific question about the man masturbation habits, um, let's say frequency must be asked, including the specific detail of the man masturbatory style, um, stimulation and the differences between self-stimulation and partner stimulation you know it's important uh, we need to know about his fantasy use of pornography and ability to communicate his preference to his partner mm -hmm. so in addition if ejaculation was previously attainable a detailed exploration of the life changes for example uh, circumstance leading up to the development of uh, the ejaculatory difficulty must be considered. Mm -hmm. uh, differential diagnosis must take into account the normal effect of aging, for example, on male ejaculation. Uh, additionally, ejaculatory delay must um, delay due to medication, for example, some medication like uh, um, antidepressant mm -hmm. uh, or medical condition uh, also uh, be must be ruled out. So what to do? Uh, it's all depends on the etiology. Okay, so in this case, you would recommend seeking medical and professional help. Correct. Yes, exactly. The next question would be, uh, we know that each person has his or her own sexual fantasies. Um, and let's say the person could only be aroused when the partner does particular things. Um, so what would, for example, a man do if the wife does not enjoy or does not want to do these sexual fantasies and vice versa? The same applies to a woman who enjoys certain things that the man doesn't want to do or doesn't enjoy. Um, how how would they deal with this? Mm -hmm. So, okay, we have to say that sexual fantasy are considered to be markers sometimes of spontaneous desire, or and their absence is an is one indicator of dysfunction. However, sexual fantasy are not proven to reflect women sexual desire okay um mm -hmm. so sexual fantasies start in childhood so they are normal and okay as long as they are consensual mm -hmm. and not harmful to the individual or his her spouse here we talk about sexual coercion if it's happened okay so sex also is about communication Okay. Uh, we need to learn how to communicate our needs and fantasize how to share some content without having the expectation to agreement and without fearing criticism. Um, here, sometimes in the clinic, we put um, that 10 and 10 uh, um, sheet in which partner reflect uh, and then write on their fantasy and share the result with each other. For example, I ask the female to, to write her her plan, okay, and for the man to write his own plan separately. Uh, this is table contact. Um, it, in the table, we put three columns. Either it's acceptable, either it's not acceptable, or in third column, maybe. Maybe that's mean, okay, we can think about it, or maybe we can do it with, uh, you know, some, uh, some, um, um, some little changes, for example. Uh -huh. 
so so here it's a uh, you know it's an indirect way to to share our fantasy let's say someone can write in their in their paper okay having sex in a car mm -hmm. okay or having sex outside the bedroom mm -hmm. but for example the wife she never thought about it and the man he he just you know he's doing this mind reading that she doesn't desire this and he, she, she doesn't want but when sharing those paper and uh, with teaching them not to judge the other and just to say if it's possible or not possible or maybe so mm -hmm. sometimes the the spouse can can you know can uh, can be uh, surprised about the the answer of his wife or uh, of the other uh, of, of the answer of the other because the other is this fantasy is in their mind or it's acceptable for them or it's acceptable with some extent you know so mm -hmm. sharing fantasy here it's very important um for us so instead for me to repress our fantasy and incorrectly label things as a low libido we try here to carry on a normal sexual life mm -hmm. okay and nothing wrong with um do you know uh making some fantasy real okay mm -hmm. as long as it doesn't have it doesn't uh, hurt the other or it's it's not harmful mm -hmm. so if the wife uh, for example doesn't want to do this fantasy let's say we can go to the alternatives so we have now a list of alternatives and other choice that we have to we have in the list for example just all what we uh, need is to break down the barriers uh, to discuss sexual fantasy that exists in our life so we might allow those fantasies uh, the one that are safe legal and consensual to become part of our sexual reality. Another question uh, is, in the case of sexual desire timing asynchronization, which means that, for example, a man might have a sexual desire for sex at the moment, but the woman doesn't desire that. Or let's say a woman has a desire for sexual intercourse at the moment and the man doesn't desire it. So there is an asynchronization and timing. What should be done in this case? What would you recommend? Let me explain first that sexual desire is the motivation is that the state that uh, may promote individual to seek out to engage in sexual activity. It's the result of positive interplay among um, internal cognitive process like thought, fantasy, imagination, neurophysiological mechanism like central arousability, the affective component again i said here mood stress emotional state and the biological basis so uh, no one person desire is like the other and this can affect the relationship dynamics for example some some men uh, they respond sexually to their stress some other stress it's you know prohibit them from performing uh, to perform sexually mm -hmm. so as, as i said no one person is like the other but we need to increase also the awareness that partner have differences in the desired frequency of sexual contact they have different attitude towards sexual behavior and arousal and they the conflict in view of sexual contact as a right to pleasure 
also it's it's always present and um, we have this struggle about power and control issue related uh, to the initiation and type of sexual contact also can can exist mm-hmm. so again ineffective communication related to sexuality lead to desire discrepancy but here uh, here come also the issue when somebody told me that um, in islam Okay, mm-hmm. if a wife uh, refuse sex to her husband, she would be uh, cursed by the angel. Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, said, the messenger of Allah, peace and blessing be upon him, said, if a man calls his wife to his bed and she refuses and does not come, and he spent the night angry with her, the angel will curse her until morning. So the Islamic view of a husband and wife is uh, to, here we can see it, is to safeguard that uh, chastity Mm -hmm. of one another by providing one another a legitimate means of satisfying the sexual urge. This protection of chastity is essential for the preservation of the family unit. If we have some conflict about these two, because I said that if there's differences in the desired frequency and sexual contact, and here the Islam come to say, okay, that women have to to respond to her husband's desire, and where is the you know uh, equality in in that issue? Right. So how do you how do you balance this Islamic perspective with the scientific perspective? Amazingly, the science gave us a very logical answer for this issue, you know. Um, according to this, you know, for, for the um, sexual response, we have many models, but the most um, uh, recent model is with what we call the circular model of sexual response. Women's sexual activity may commence for a variety of reasons, not merely, but including spontaneous sexual desire, but not merely, okay? Mm-hmm. And sexual activities may lead to increasing level of physical and subjective arousal, which may trigger responsive sexual desire later. Okay. This model allows phase to overlap emerge. So the sexual response is not necessarily initiated by intrinsic physical sexual desire, mm-hmm. okay? So women's sexual response is more based on willingness to find uh, or to be receptive to sexual stimuli. Desire is part of arousal and arousal can occur before recognition of desire. So uh, just let yourself go and don't resist and try to enjoy the moment uh, by itself. Okay. And, and that's very interesting what you said about the woman's sexual activity. It can, it can happen for so many reasons and not just sexual desire, correct? Yeah, because, you know, because uh, first of all, when they described the uh, sexual response, they said, uh, we have to have desire. Then after the desire, arousal come, then we have the orgasm, then we have the resolution, okay? But mm-hmm. here, that's mean the female has to have desire to go into, to get uh, excited and to get aroused, right? Mm-hmm. But when the sec- uh, circular model come and explain that we don't need to have desire at the beginning, just you, what you need is to let yourself go, okay? And uh, let yourself to be responsive to the arousal, to, to be responsive to the stimuli. So arousability can can be built up 
And when positive, this positive feeling come, and maybe you can reach or you don't reach orgasm, whatever, but you have this sexual satisfaction, uh-huh. then desire come, okay? And for next time, you, you feel that you have more desire. So we need to go into many times with with the like of circular model, then we can sometime from time to time to break it and have desire first and arousability then, you know, mm-hmm. orgasm, something like this. So for the female, uh, I uh, my advice is uh, not to not to say okay i don't have desire just let yourself enjoy mm-hmm. the moment enjoy the stimulation and here i have to say for the husband okay please 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 okay um make a lot of foreplay make touching a lot of caressing a lot of uh, uh, loving and not not to be just uh, a goal targeted uh, sexual intercourse And then the last question that we would like to ask is, um, you know, and this is a very common question that applies to whether opposite sex attracted couples or same sex, it's all across the board. If there is a sex life that has been long lost in one's marriage, either because, for example, due to the pregnancy of the wife or because the couple uh, have been busy with their own careers, bringing, um, you know, bringing up kids, whatever that may be, or they may have lost the desire throughout the years, that their sex life is, is virtually either non-existent or very limited. How would you recommend the couple or what would you recommend the couple to do in order to revive their long-lost sex life? Okay, uh, a stress that can particularly challenge that ch- uh, relationship is the loss of sexual functioning and possible reduction in sexual intimacy. For couple who had an active sex life prior, the loss of sexual functioning, the loss of the ability to have a spontaneous intercourse sometime or a decrease in sexual interest on the part of the patient have implication on both, okay, on both spouses. Okay. So spouses may have a number of different reactions ranging from feeling rejected and unattractive uh, to feeling relieved due to their lack of personal let's say uh, personal sexual desire or ability to function mm-hmm. so um, how couple redefine the way that they express affection and sexual intimacy in their relationship can be significant challenge mm-hmm. and um, this particular and emotional challenges, particularly the stress imposed by the loss of sexual functioning, can compromise relationship quality if not handled effectively. And we, so we have here to, to be so attentive. So communication again and again and again between partners is critical to manage that stressor and maintain or improve relationship quality. Mm-hmm. In that empirical um, research has uh, suggested that the amount and the quality of communication that couple engaged in can influence both partner emotional distress and quality of life. Just to mention, not all communication is viewed uh, or intended to be supportive or constructive. Relationship communication also can play an important role in how much sexual dysfunction affects marital quality. Four horsemen of any relationship, uh, we can say that one criticism, 
when mm-hmm. criticize uh, the others okay and uh, we have um, the contempt second, second horseman and uh, that's mean when we communicate instead state that we are truly mean okay we truly uh, we treat others with disrespect mock them with uh, sarcasm and uh, call them names or mimic or use body language such as eye rolling and mm-hmm. uh, this is can happen too much between uh, the two couples some some of them struggling with sexual dysfunction or sexual problem because the other is a, as a defense mechanism he can start uh, doing this contempt okay mm-hmm. on the other uh, and we have the third one is def- uh, defensiveness uh, and it's typically a response to criticism okay so we are all being defensive a response to criticism when we feel uh, unjust accused we fish um, for uh, excuses and play the innocent victim so that our partner will back off okay mm-hmm. um, unfortunately this strategy is almost never successful so our excuses just tell our partner that we don't take their concerns seriously and that we don't take responsibility for our mistakes um, and the fourth horseman uh, is stonewalling, which is usually a response to contempt. So stonewalling occurs when the uh, listener withdraws from the interaction, mm-hmm. shut down, and sim- simply stop responding to their partner. Here, um, rather than confronting the issues with their partner, people who stonewall can make uh, evasive maneuvers such as uh, tuning out, uh, turning away, acting busy, or engaging in obsessive and distracting behavior. Mm-hmm. So it takes time for the negatively created by the first three horsemen to become overwhelming enough that stonewalling become an uh, understandable out. But uh, when it does, it frequently uh, becomes a bad habit. And unfortunately, stonewalling isn't, isn't easy to stop. It's a result of feeling physiologically flawed, okay? But, uh, and with time, uh, that this touchless life can lead to uh, sexual aversion. Mm-hmm. We have to be open and to communicate, to communicate our needs. And we have to, you know, sometimes we have to search for the reason, what's, what happened inside. Uh, sometimes it, it depends on body image um, uh, for self. So sometimes it depends on um, a psychological problem. So it, we have to search for the etiology, what's, what's happened in between and try to to you know tailor kind of therapy for them but just uh, when when things such such thing happen okay don't uh, hesitate to seek a couple therapist or sex therapist okay uh, because sometimes this uh, couple issue daily life uh, um, stressor can affect your sexual life and uh, uh, we enter here in a virtual cycle but we have to break the cycle mm-hmm. um, in a in a matter that we can save our life and when we say our life uh, our marital life 
part of it our sexual life okay so so if i understand correctly what you advocate for is to try and find the etiology or the main reason why this uh, there is an aversion or a decrease in the sex uh, and then um, to to maintain open communication to be transparent and to try to find a common solution and to seek couples therapy or, or professional help because that will help in the process correct 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 exactly because if we don't face that we don't face that problem we cannot solve it With this, we have come to the end of these two episodes on marital sex and intimacy. Uh, Dr. Rana Khaled was my co-host for these two episodes. I am very, very thankful for all of your efforts. This has been a pleasure. I have learned so much, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have learned and benefited from these two episodes. Jazakumullah khairan. I really appreciate all of your efforts. Thank you for having me. I had a pleasure. Thank you. Um, if you have any questions or if you'd like to reach out to Dr. Rana, uh, she is available through her Gmail account, drranakhalid.clinic at gmail.com or through her Twitter account at drranakhalid. Um, I will add all of this contact information in addition to her private online clinic number in the um, episode transcript, which you can check on our website, awaybeyondtherainbow.busproud.com. And with this, we have wrapped up our series on marriage, celibacy, as well as sex and intimacy. The next episode is going to be our last episode of season three. And joining me as a guest speaker is going to be Alan, who is going to be sharing with us his story. As always, you can reach out to me on awaybeyondtherainbow at gmail.com and I'd be happy to read all of your emails, suggestions, and comments anytime. Until next episode, stay safe and healthy. This has been Wahid Jensen in Away Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.